Good evening, everybody. It is great to see you guys here. Um, I can keep trying to delay because, you know, Mercy Hill people always show up late to things, but um, maybe, maybe not. But yeah, two worship songs and then people are here. Yeah, so we would need to do that. It was actually specifically interesting this last Sunday because second service, we probably had our largest attendance since COVID, COVID hit. What's that? Yeah, I know. It was pretty full. And, uh, and uh, it was like still, like it took until after the second song before people were here. So anyways, it is uh, good to see who is here here. Uh, we, are, um, uh, we are starting a new series for Wednesday nights. Um, we finished up the conversation on the, um, on the Apostles' Creed, and we're starting a series entitled... Uh, New Testament ethics, um, and uh, I was just saying to someone, I think I was saying to Bob out in the lobby, that uh, it's actually a lot more uh, interesting and for me a lot more exciting than what the title seems to indicate. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to us going through this because I think it's an important thing for us as the church and us as individuals to really be, uh, uh, to really understand and be connected to and realize why we do what we do. Um, uh, there's a definition there in the top there. It's uh, Christian ethics would be the, the principles derived from Christian faith uh, by which we act. Um, if somebody, uh, if you kind of want to stay on top of things and look at the verses there, uh, if somebody could look up Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 6, uh, that would be great uh, for reading. But ultimately what this really is the conversation about is it's a conversation about in light of the work of Jesus Christ, how then should we live? Uh, it's easy for us to look at Old Testament ethics in a large way because we have a very, a very clear like pattern, right? Uh, as an example, the Ten Commandments would be Old Testament ethics. How do you live? Uh, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not. All of these different ideas. It's the, it's the idea of how we live our lives. Now, when we flip into the context of Christian ethics in the New Testament, how then do we live? And what it, particularly why that becomes a, a question or a standard is um, when we are saved, um, what takes place? What takes place in salvation? Holy Spirit's indwelling. Uh, the work of the work, the, our righteousness of Christ is imputed upon us, and therefore our sins are forgiven, right? And um, it's not by our works, right, that we're saved, right? Um, so, so essentially we, we fall in this thing of this idea of, does it matter how I live? Because if I'm a Christian, if I'm saved, and I'm not saved by my works, and I'm saved through Jesus Christ, then how shall I live? Um, and so that's, that really is where it becomes this idea. So then what is the pattern for our lives? What is the standard for our lives? There really isn't anything in the New Testament as it, that, that is the equivalency of necessarily the Old Testament um, Ten Commandments. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. That's what it means to live like a Christian. It's a little bit, it's a little bit broader. It's a little bit more open. And so now the question becomes, and so what does that mean? What does it mean to, ha what does it mean to live in, what are, what are Christian ethics for us in light of what Christ did? 
Um, somebody, somebody got Colossians 3? Go ahead. So as you hear that, you kind of see the broad idea that we're talking about recounted there, right? How, how then shall you live? And he kind of walks through it, and he says, he says put these things to death. And, and he creates this kind of a broader ideas within there, the idea of, of um, uh, pride, the ideas of lust, the ideas of, on a broader view. It's, it's, less, it's less pointed, and it's more tied to something as it relates to um, our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we look at things above and not things of this earth. Well, what does that mean? How does that play out? That's a broader idea that we see within the, con- within the conversation of a New Testament ethics. It's much broader. It's not just do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. It's a much broader idea. Now, as I said, here's, here's, here's the question that the starting point of our whole conversation to this point, right? I said, okay, what happens when we get saved? We started that conversation. We said, okay, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Our sins are forgiven. Uh, they're separated as far as the east is from the west. Uh, we're not saved by our works, right? So in that conversation already at this point, the center point of our conversation has been salvation. How are you saved? And then once you're saved, what does that mean for the life you live? It's not about whether or not I do good or don't do good. What, what's, one of the, what's one of the dangers that takes place as it relates to the life you live when we, when we embrace the idea that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, what we do or don't do doesn't add or subtract from our salvation? What's one of the problems that arises for a lot of people within their Christian faith from that reality? Right. So, so do, you see the, do you see the linkage there to, to New Testament ethics, to our concept of, of what salvation is? Because basically what happens is we basically say, well, what does it matter? Yeah, he's going to forgive me. My, my sins are forgiven, past, present, future. I can kind of live however I want to live. Anybody ever met Christians, quote-unquote Christians, who are like that? Right? Well, God will forgive me. doesn't matter. I can live how I want to live. So this is where we end up with the crux of an issue to, that we have to process through. So what is New Testament ethics? That's why the, the first thing you see there is salvation is the middle point of ethics. Um, salvation is um, defined, the word that's used there, as protection from illness and harm. Somebody have Philippians 1.19 for me? Go ahead, Bob. Give it to me. Yeah, that's fine. It's just that the, 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 the word used there is deliverance is the, is the Greek word that, that, that is salvation. So it gives you the idea. 
the, the Greek word here is we are delivered from, we are saved from, we are the, the, that there is, um, we, are, we are taken out of illness and harm and that we have salvation, we are delivered. What, what in your understanding of salvation are we delivered from? What's that? Hell? Sin? Death? So basically what we're looking at is salvation means that God delivers us from the penalties of our sin, from the, from the um, control of our sin, uh, from, from hell and death, which, which are, the, which are the, um, uh, the wages of sin. So this is what we're talking about when it comes to salvation. Now, the pro, there, there's, there's several different problems. There's a problem and method of, of New Testament ethics. And one of the primary problems that we see there is salvation as a, as a one-way ticket to heaven uh, in modern individualistic culture detached from ethics. That's a fancy way of saying the first thing we talked about. What, do we, what becomes a problem when people embrace um, a misunderstanding of salvation? This idea that, cool, I'm now saved, I have a one-way ticket to heaven, and I essentially can live however I want to live. Um, this has been a conversation I've had with people um, recently uh, about the, the world that we see around us. Um, in the book of Judges, you see several different times throughout where there's been a declaration about the state of um, the Israelites. It's also essentially the same phrase that was used in the time of Noah. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That is, if you were to define our world now, doesn't that get about as close as you possibly can get? Who are you to tell me what I, I, each one of us, we can do what we want, we can do it however we want, whenever we want, whatever's right in my own eyes. You even get that within the context of people as far as Christianity is concerned. Well, you feel this, I feel that, you do this, I do that. Well, I know that part of the Bible, I'm not so much in part with this part, of, yeah, yeah, right? This is what we see as far as the world around us. And what happens is a misunderstanding of what salvation is creates this idea that I can do whatever I want, and it's okay because God will forgive me, Jesus will forgive me. Um, somebody read for me Romans 8, 12 through 13. Go ahead, Bob. Okay. So what so what are we seeing from Romans there as it relates to the conversation we're having? Right, so if, 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 if ethics is a conversation about how then shall we live, the declaration is there, do not live what? According to the flesh, right? So, so, so he's, he's talking specifically, there is now, the framework is, there's a, there, there is a way we live. We don't just live however we choose to live because we've received this cheap salvation. There is a way to live. There is an ethic. There is a how then shall we live to it. Somebody got um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 7. Go ahead, read it.
Okay, so what? So the description there in First Thessalonians is a how then shall we live? And he goes in, he starts talking about specific ideas as to how we live. Now, let me ask you this question. In your understanding of salvation, why do we uh, not live according to the flesh? Why, why do we um, uh, not engage in sexual immorality? Why do we live a certain way? Why do we have a, 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 set, of, a set of ethics that we as Christians live? Why? Our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. We're ambassadors for the Lord. Our faith is confirmed in the, in, in the way which we live. Keep going. Give me, give me other reasons. Okay. We're instructed to live as Jesus lived because we love him. If you're taking notes, this, as it relates to this section, this is what I want you to write down. Salvation is an act of God's grace producing a response that takes serious the connection of grace and ethics in the New Testament. Okay? Salvation is an act of God's grace producing a response. Everything you guys just mentioned there was a response to what God did. This is, this is, this is where you get the cart and horse in right, right perspective. So I don't live a certain way to gain salvation. I don't live a certain way because it, 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 it creates my salvation. It, as Bob says, may affirm my salvation. It, it shows forth this idea of, I'm a Christian, this is why I live this way. I'm going to live this way because I'm a Christian. But that living is actually a response to an understanding of the grace of God to me, and therefore I'm going to live it out. And, 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 and when I even talk about that, that it's a connection... Um, it's a serious connection uh, to grace that here's the grace of God. I take it seriously, and therefore I live a life of ethic, of, of Christian New Testament ethic. I live a certain way. And it's really, this response is, is a response uh, uh, of, of gratitude in loving relationship, right? So now what I do is I go, oh my gosh, he loved me so much. The Word of God says what? While we were yet sinners, what? He died for us. He says, he, the, the Word of God says we love him because why? He first loved us. So what you're talking about here is you're talking about a response. Salvation takes place because of the work of Christ. And so we can talk about, we can talk about the, the, the spiritual lines behind that. But we but salvation comes into our lives because of what Christ does in us. And all of a sudden, our eyes are opened to the reality that he saved us from something. Right? When we talk about that first word that, that come, comes there, that there's that redemption that took place. There's the, what was the word that was used? Delivered us from death. He delivered us from that. And so all of a sudden, we come in and we go, gosh, he delivered me. He died on the cross for me. He delivered me from death. He delivered me from hell. He delivered me from sin. He delivered me from, right? And because of that, we go, okay, now I respond because he first loved me, because he first died for me, delivering me from this body of death. And so now we go, how, do, how then shall I live in response to that? This is, this is one of the foundational 
um, problems with the American incarnation of Christianity that I've run into. Um, and it was really manifested. I kind of I touched on this, uh, used this story once on a Sunday morning. I kind of just touched on it because I, was, I didn't, it wasn't fully formed at that point. As I, was, as I was talking about it, it was just something that hit me. But I was in the car and I was driving and I turned on NPR. And NPR, there were these two people and they got into this conversation about faith. And it was really interesting to hear these people talk about faith. They both grew up in uh, faith communities. Um, one guy grew up in a charismatic church. Um, I believe his father might have even been a worship leader at the church, and, and he, played, he played the organ. And the other girl grew up in a, uh, was an African-American girl, grew up in a, a, a black Baptist church. And they, neither one of them is in faith right now. Neither one of them are Christians. Um, I think they said, one or two of them said, you know, I tend to be, you know, spiritual, but don't go to church, not religious, that kind of thing. Uh, so all really typical stuff, Right. And the one girl said something that was very interesting to me because she, the reason she walked away from her faith was her indictment on her view of God's love for her. And what she said was this. Is she said, it seems to me that, that it's a weird love. Uh, you tell me God loves you. They tell me that God, God's, God, God's love, that, that God is a loving God. But if I don't do what he wants me to do, if I don't do what he tells me to do, then he rejects me. Uh, and I have to go to hell. She said, that seems like weird love to me. What, what's the important piece of this she's missing? What is it? What? Repentance? Yep, there's, there, there, there's, the, the repentance is missing. Uh, okay. okay, he doesn't deserve his love. Okay. What else? It's, it, it, it is a, it, 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 right, it's a, it, the whole thing is a love relationship in which you're essentially saying, you keep giving to me, 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 and I'm going to do whatever the freak I want over here. And if you, and if you then say, okay, cool, then we're done in relationship. Then you say, who, you're not a very loving person, Right? This is, this is what we're talking about. You could piece it, you could piece it into a marriage relationship, right? Right? If, 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 I, go to, if, I, if I find a, a gal and I, I go to her and I love at first sight and I love her and I think she's amazing, I think she's great, and I say, I want to marry you and I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to give you a home and I'm going to take care of you and I want to meet all your needs. And she says, oh, that'd be great. And then she, she accepts that in and, and, we, and we get married and we move in and we have our honeymoon that night. And then like two days later, she disappears. And then she comes back like three, four days later smelling of other men. And says, no, I, I, uh, I, I want to stay with you. Oh, okay, cool. And I give her a home, and I give her everything she needs, and I'm providing for her, whatever else. And then she disappears again. And then she goes off and around and whatever else. And this happens over and over and over again. And then eventually I say to her, hey, this isn't working. And then she looks at me and goes, oh, I thought you said you love me. He's a jerk. I can't believe he does it. What kind of love is that? Right? So what we're talking about here is we're talking about an ethic that is born out of relationship. It's an ethic that's born in response to love. And so we live a certain way because we, he loves me, I love him, and we're in relationship one with another. 
This is a foundational problem that the, that the world and many Christians don't even seem to grasp. Cool. God, God is calling you into relationship with him. Do you love him? What is the, what is the first and most, most important commandment? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so in that, he says, cool, this is how I want you to love me. But no, I don't want to do that. I want to do whatever I want. Okay, cool. You don't love me. Go ahead. Right. So there's, as you walk through this, we, we head that direction. So it's not just that he asks that of us, but he empowers that in us at the same time. And you'll see that as it, as it walks through. It's not something we're in of ourselves. So do you, understand, do you understand the clarification of Christian ethics as it relates to salvation that's required, particularly as people kind of contemplate this idea to this point? You understand what I'm saying? That that Christian ethics is tied to salvation in that it is a response to salvation, not the lever by which we are saved. And one of the reasons why that's important to understand, and that's, that's one of the problems, the second problem there, is this misunderstanding of the Jewish background of the works of the law leading to salvation. Uh, somebody read Galatians 2.16 for me. Go ahead. Right. So the works of the law that, that are referred to there, um, and, and this is what you have to understand, is, is what ends up happening there is people then read that and they're like, well, then I don't have to live. You know, it's not about what I do or what I don't do. Um, and and uh, the works of the law that are referred to there are, are specifically kind of the ethnic boundary markers of circumcision, kosher food laws, and other acts uh, of cleanliness. Um, and so then... So it's kind of tied, that whole thing is kind of tied to the covenant that they were engaged in. So that was one of the things where it's like, hey, that's not, that's not what really does it. Um, even, amongst the, even amongst the Old Testament, that's what they're explaining there, even amongst those in the Old Testament, they weren't saved by what they did. Even there, it wasn't like you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, you get salvation. It was still about the grace of God through the covenant that brings them salvation. Now, that, and, the, and, the, and the, actually the Old Testament is that same, supposed to be that same picture. Why do you do it? Because you love God. You not doing it is showing me you don't love God. You're showing me that you love something other than God. And that's why the judgment of God came upon people. Um, and so, so, so understanding that, that never has works been the thing. Salvation has always come by the mercy and the grace of God. For us, it is revealed in Christ. And because of that revelation in Christ, we respond and live a certain way. 
Does that all make sense? Alrighty. Um, now, now when we when we go into this, and this is something we've probably touched on to this point, and you probably picked up on. So, if we don't have a list of if we don't have a list of do's and don'ts that lead to salvation as as Christian ethics, what is New Testament ethics for us as Christians? What is like if if you were to define how then shall I live as a follower of Jesus Christ as a Christian? And and I'll give you a hint. The title Christian gives you a hint as to the answer. Live like Christ. The the New Testament ethic is look at Jesus. Follow Christ. Live in a way that 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 shows forth um, Jesus Christ. Um, the the way it's said here is the law of Christ is the dominion of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Somebody read Galatians six two for me. Go ahead. The law of Christ. This is, so think about that. What does it say? Well, there's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. So he's talking about something specific there, right? Within, within the ethic of Jesus Christ. When we bear one another's burdens, we are fulfilling an element of the law of Christ, right? In, in what regard? Why is that true? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Did Jesus, did Jesus bear our burdens? Yeah, right? So that passage is specifically tying to the reality that Jesus, in the, in the same way in which Jesus bared our burdens, we bear one another's burdens. Why? Because it's a fulfillment of the law of Christ. We can go through a lot of things and say this, right? What are things that Jesus Christ did? He loved us before we loved him. He sacrificed for us. That's the, and it's an element of the bearing of our, our burdens. He forgave us. Uh, he feeds us. He cares for us. He protects us. What's that? He indwells us. He lived holy. <laughs> uh, like, we can, keep, we can keep walking through, right? And you see that revealed in the New Testament teachings, right? All over the place. That's why, as you walk through this, um, it's it's what what is what is New Testament Testament ethics? It it begins with Jesus Christ and encompasses Jesus Christ, and you see it in the teaching of Jesus about his life, the imitation of Jesus in life and death, the apostolic implications um, from Jesus' teaching. So, what does that mean? So here's what you see, and this is, this is what's so important when you read. This is a thread that, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was seven. I've been in ministry for, I've been a pastor for 20-some years now. And, and honestly, this is one of the things that, like, a light went on over my head for the first time probably 
just before we started Marseille Church, right about 15, 18 years ago. It's all about Jesus. Like, it's all about Jesus. Um, and, and that's, and, and when I go to the, Paul, when we go to the epistles, when we go to the Pauline epistles, when we go to what, what Peter writes, when we go to what James writes, when we go to what John writes, when you go to all these different things, they're pulling out of Jesus' teaching, and what do they keep saying? Uh, we love the way he loved. We forgive the way he forgave. We suffer the way he suffered. We die the way he died. We, right? Don't, don't you see that over and over and over and over and over and over? Almost every single time you see an instruction in the epistles to live a certain way, they tie it directly to Jesus Christ and how he lived. This is consistent. Like, this is, this is over and over and over and over again. It is almost like, it's not like they go in and they say, you need to do this because it's a good thing to do. They, 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 they don't go in and go, you need to do this. It's almost always, Christ did this. If, now, they, 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 there are times they pull out of it because Christ loved us a certain way. We love others that way, and in so doing, this will, come, this will come to be. This will, this will take place as a result of it. But the reason every time a Christian does lives like Christ is because Christ did the same thing. We're never asked to do anything that Jesus didn't do. Now, let me ask you this. What is the implications of that, um, uh, that framework of ethic Versus a, 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 do, a list of do's or don'ts. Better relationship. It's a relationship uh, that's tied to who Christ is in us as opposed to just this, this kind of rote a list of things to do or don't. It's tied to the relationship. Yep, go ahead. Right. Yeah, you can say, well, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. How many of you guys think you're going to live Jesus perfectly just like Jesus was perfect? So there are going to be times where we can fall short. But there's something else that's an implication from that idea of, of a list. It really creates a, um, uh, a vibrant, um, dynamic ethic, right? So... Don't do this, do do that, don't do this, do do that, don't do this, do do that. You now have a list that creates a very clean box of what to do and what not to do. And then all of a sudden something comes up that might not fit the box, right? And it's like, well, whatever, right? But Jesus Christ lays out a very dynamic understanding where we have got to be working to live out Jesus in circumstances that that aren't spelled out in black and white. Which means sometimes um, we have to live this salvation um, interactively. And, and, what, and, and that's probably the last thing you see on that list there that I just laid, uh, laid out here is uh, our Christian ethic starts with Jesus Christ. It's born out of Jesus Christ. The teaching of Jesus Christ the imitation of Jesus Christ's life and death, the apostolic implications from Jesus' teaching, and that last one there is Holy Spirit guidance in accordance with Jesus' example. We find ourselves in circumstances sometimes that I can't open up the Bible and go, oh, he specifically spoke to this, 
or he specifically found himself in this situation. And so we go, well, how do we live out Jesus in this? That's your starting point for the conversation, and it's your ending point. So you find yourself challenged in life, and you go, okay, how would I live out Christ in this? And we are in tune with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy. So one of the phrases that we see in Scripture about the Holy Spirit is what? He guides us into all truth. So he's leading us into truth. Realities about Jesus Christ that, that may not be as black and white as we see in the apostolic um, records, but that is in our hearts, in our lives, living out Jesus Christ. And we really see that as we move into that, the, the, the final section there as it relates to salvation as past, present, and future. Um, uh, this is important for us to understand as it relates to ethics because what we're talking about is what does it mean to be saved? For a lot of us, if we leave salvation in the past, and if you read those, those verses that are there, we don't necessarily have to read those verses because I think it's almost self-explanatory. This is what happened. How many of you can point to a point in your past where you got saved? If you can't in this room, you may not be saved, just to let you know. If you can't point to a point where you said, I accept Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to live in faith, I'm going to follow him. It may have been, it may have been you know, a little more... Um, uh, less defined than that. But for all of us, we can go, well, I, like, I know that when I was seven years of age, I just began to be more aware of God and began to follow him. Or when I was 16, God just came and there was a moment when I went down to the altar, something along those lines. That's a past idea, right? Somebody, somebody read, read with me, um, uh, somebody read for me Philippians 2.12. Okay, so what does that mean? So if, if, if salvation is relegated to a past event, and it's only past, that verse makes no sense, right? So he's saying, what, you should, what should we do? <laughs> Live out your salvation. Yeah, and that and it's it, it's it's he's worked in you salvation. Now you work it out is basically what it is. Now you live this out. So the the scripture is expre expressing here the present nature of salvation, which would be what it would be everything we're talking about. How then shall we live? If he's worked salvation into us, now how then shall we live? We work out salvation. We are that salvation is a present idea, and then it's and then it's also a it's also a future concept. Somebody read for me Romans 5, 9 through 11.
Yeah, that's fine. You can, you, can, you can get in there. Did you notice several different times it says, we will be saved? We will be saved from the wrath. We will be saved. So that's a future tense, right? It will happen. It's going to happen. So now what you have is you have the expression of the future salvation. Uh, and and uh, we'll skip the 13 and go to 1 Peter 1 because that's one I think is really good for us to see. Everybody got it? Yeah. She, so what does it say there? You what? So he's saying, he's saying so you don't now see him, you will see him. Um, and he's talking about this idea. The, the whole passage there, Peter is talking about this idea. He's like, okay, so we're suffering for a little while. We're, we're going through stuff right now, but we will receive the salvation uh, that, that is to come ahead. So we put our eyes towards that, and we live with that in anticipation. Salvation is a past, it is a present, and it is a future thing that we as Christians need to see as dynamically, right? Because what, so piece together everything we've just talked about and, and see the, uh, do you see the, um, the crappy Christianity we see all around us that doesn't embrace this? It, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, well, I, I got, I got, I prayed a prayer like 10 years ago and got saved. I don't need Jesus anymore. I, I, how many, how many times have you ever met somebody who you begin to talk to them about faith and they're like, well, no, I, yeah, I, you know, I gave my heart, I went to Sunday school when I was like eight years of age and I, used, I grew up a Christian, so no, I, I get it. And you're like, okay, so? Do you have a present salvation? Go ahead. Yeah, that's that's why the starting point of this that's why the starting point of this conversation is fully understanding what what the Christian ethic is or what the Christian working out is. It's not it's not salvation. Right, it's not salvation. It is it is an expression of your salvation. It shows you're saved. It reveals you're saved. That's what this always comes down to. This is why this is why um this is why Paul's expression, uh, Paul's expression where he talks about, uh, by grace are you saved through faith and not works of your own, is not in contrast, regardless of what, what Martin Luther may have, may have believed, to James's expression where, where he says, faith without works is dead. They, they are congruent one with another. And in fact, if you, if you continue reading the James passage, and you continue reading the, the Romans passage, they, 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 um, they come into confluence with each other. Because James con- continues on, and James says um, uh, that th- 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 the good works you were um, created for, that, or I'm sorry, the Romans passage says the good works you were created for. What, what he's talking about is we live, we, we aren't saved by that, but it's an expression of our salvation. And again, why is it an expression? Like, what's, what's the motivation of the expression? We love him. That's the issue. 
And he prepared the good works for us to advance, and that's what you, as you get further into this, what you begin to see is the Holy Spirit is working through that in you to get you to it. You don't just do it in and of yourself. He helps you do it. So this is, this is um, that, so yes, that's, that's exactly right. The, the, the question always comes down to, the question always comes down to, um, if I'm a Christian and I'm not living out my faith, I'm not having this Christian ethic being lived out. It's not, it's not primarily about gritting my teeth and trying harder. That's one, of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why so many Christians fail to overcome. It's about examining my heart in light of my relationship with my Savior. There, there, there's something in you that is not embracing the work of Christ. There, there's something in you that is not living in love towards him. Not understanding the reception of his love towards you. Well, the, the, yes, yeah. If if you're, um, the, yeah, if you're tra- right, and I'm talking about I'm talking about people who I'm talking about people who continue to like that like sin is a constant problem for them, and they're like, how do I overcome? How do I live a good Christian ethic? I'm not living well. It's not simply about going. I just got to try harder. I got to try harder. I got to try harder. I got to feel this. I got to do this. I got to do that. It's not simple. Now. There is a point where you get to and you go, like, I want to live for Jesus. I love him so much. I care about him so much. And so I may take steps that help me do that. This is something that we're actually going to do a series, um, an upcoming series on the concept of repentance. Um, and we're going to look at the judges as we go through that. And, and this is part of the conversation that we've been having as we're kind of formulating the series. It, it really comes down to... Um, it, it really comes down uh, to... Loving, see, we get saved and we're really aware of our sin, right? When you, when you, when, when that, the first time when you come to Christ, you go, I'm a sinner, uh, I suck, and I can't, I can't make it, I need Jesus. And so you're really aware of your sin. And there's actually a hatred in your heart towards your sin, right? Because it separates you from God. And then you receive God and you live in Christ, um, and you're comfortable in Christ, and you like being, and you love that part of being in Christ, and you're in Christ. And then you sin. And there's actually something enjoyable about sin, isn't there? Hey, uh, you, you, you enjoy sin. If we didn't enjoy sin, it'd be easy to not sin. There is a pleasurable piece to it. There is a pleasurable piece to it. And then what ends up happening is because something bad, like the world doesn't fall down, like your, the ceiling doesn't crash in on you, God doesn't strike you with lightning, you begin to realize, I can have both. I can enjoy some of the pleasure of the sin and still be a Christian. That's where Christians get in trouble. And essentially what it means is you found yourself in a place where the love that you have for Christ, to live for Christ in a way, is, is somewhat diminished or overshadowed by the pleasure you have in your sin. And what you have to do is not simply go, okay, I just got to not do it. But you have to examine your heart and realize, my problem is I love my sin more than I love my Savior. And I need to draw nearer to him. I need to draw nearer to Christ. I need to do, and that's that why well, you've got people, if you've been here, you've heard me describe this. The idea of repentance is turn away. <laughs> and you turn towards something. It's less about turning away from this thing and we're turning towards, towards something. And so what you do is you go, 
you know what? I need more of him in my life. I need to know him more. I need to love him more. You should be spending more time in worship. You should be spending more time in his word. You should be spending more time in fellowship. You should be, and, it, and, and you, your, your heart needs to be turned towards him and a love for him that, that, that overshadows the love for the pleasure that you find in the sin. So it's really about that idea. It's about the idea less about like, it, it's, not, it's not about the idea of don't do and I get salvation. It's about I love him so much that I want to live in a way. This is like, like for me, um, so, it, so, so what is that? So what is that? So how do I get there? How do I find that? How, do I, how does my love for him grow? It's all these different kind of things that I just talked about that are things that we do because it impacts us. But honestly, for me, it, 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 it's something that I shared this last Sunday. Um, it, me being aware of my sin in light of his sacrifice. Like for me to like look full into the face of Christ on the cross and know that he was broken for me, know that, know that he suffered and died for me, the beauty of Jesus, the who he was, his love, his grace, his mercy, his purity, his, his wisdom, like, and, and he was beaten for my transgressions. He suffered for me. He took that upon me, upon himself. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well and that's and that's exactly what that that's exactly the piece of the puzzle that we were just talking about that we'll kind of lead into a little bit more later is that he, the Holy Spirit equips us to that place. So he that's what the Holy Spirit is there working on us. But but as far as methodology of it's really about the examination of I'm struggling in my sin. Why do I struggle in my sin? And, it, and when you understand how salvation works, it's not, simply, it's not simply about, well, it's because I'm not disciplined enough or I'm not this enough or I'm not that enough. Not, there, there are methods that we can use that, that train us in. But you'll never stay in those methods if your love for Christ doesn't overshadow your desire for sin. So, like, I can create, I can create all the methods for you that would be helpful, but they'll only last as long as your love for Christ still overshadows your love for your, the pleasure of your sin. And so it's really about, it, you have to bring those together. You have, to, you, have, you have to be like, and again, for me, what it's always come down to is, like, like as, since I was a child, I, I had a love for Jesus. <laughs> like, I can remember as a kid, one of the, I remember as a kid asking my parents for Christmas, and I, one of, I actually, I talked about there's only two presents I remember from Christmas, or one present I remember from Christmas. There's actually two. The second present I remember for Christmas was I asked, I saw a picture of Jesus um, at, a, at a bookstore where it was, he was sitting there, and there were all these children around him, all these children of all different color, all different skin color, and that. And and he was sitting there, and you saw his face as he was with these children. I asked my mom to give me that, buy me that that picture, and I have the picture in my head, and I took it and I hung it above my bed. And the face of Jesus and who he was and the love he had and the grace he had has been something that I've always had my entire life. And, 
And for me, when I struggle in my sin, I have to visit that place where I know that 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 precious Jesus died for me. And that helps me. That helps me. That helps me see the 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 the, the um, crappiness of my sin, and drives me closer to a relationship with Him, to walk away from it. Now, sin is still a part of my life, and I, I can I, I can I can identify with Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I still do. Um, but that's where I have to. That's where I have to go in that place because it's about this relationship I have with Him. I'm not afraid of Him sending me to hell. Um, I'm afraid that my sin will damage my relationship with Jesus. I'm afraid that my sin will um, spit in the face of Him who died for me, and so that's what drives me back closer to Him. That's what we have to understand about Christian faith and salvation. All the rest of it gets ugly, gets crappy, gets, gets me-centric. gets me-centric. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. This is how your salvation is about him. Go ahead. Yep, our sin was there. Our sin was put upon him. Yep, and that was what and Christ and God turned had to turn his face from um, from the sin of our our sin that was upon upon the Savior. Um, so so this is why this is such an important understanding. The, it's such an important foundational understanding of, of of Christian life, and that's why so much of what we see in Christianity out there doesn't grasp this. Do you see how easily this becomes me-centric? How easily this becomes, otherwise it becomes me-centric? It's about, it's about me getting saved. It's about me being this. It's about me doing that. And ultimately, he goes, he goes, no, I saved you. Not because of anything you did. And you're saved. You're saved. You're going to heaven. You and I are going to heaven together. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to live a certain way. Um... Well, will it get me to heaven? No, it doesn't add anything to you. It doesn't subtract anything to you. It shows that you love me. So all that we do is about him. It's about him. It's, about, it's not about me. It's about him. Um, it's really the, it's really the, uh, uh, the, the, it's really in, in my, under, in my estimation, as I th- I've thought through this for years, it's really the only place in, 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 in human uh, philosophy and human theology that allows us to live selflessly. I'm not gaining anything from this. I'm not getting anything from this. Me, me being nice to Bob or taking care of a poor person or whatever else as, as a reflection of Christ's love for me does nothing for me. It doesn't add one thing to me. I do it simply out of my heart and my love for him. It is selfless. It's not about me. It's about, it's about Jesus. I don't get anything out of it. When we make things about, the, you can do the greatest things in the world, and if they're still about you, they're still selfish. So like, so like even like, oh, you know why I go and feed the homeless? Because I get this really great, good feeling inside. Cool. It's about you. Would you do it if you didn't get that really great feeling inside? If, if that's why you do it, <laughs> it's about you. 
it's cool, it's fine. If you don't know Jesus, that's the only thing to live for is yourself. You really should only live for yourself. It's the only logical thing to do. Anybody who doesn't live for themselves, who doesn't know Jesus, I think is an idiot. Um, but, I mean, it's the only logical thing to do. Um, so, I think you're illogical if you don't. Any other thoughts or questions? Yeah, that's actually next teaching next week. Um, I think Bruce will, Bruce will lead into a little bit of that. The idea that we are that is that the concept of the dominion of Christ—that's one of the past, one of the one of the concepts we just we touched based on—and um, what that really means. And one of that, what part of what that means is we're saved into community, and the dominion of Christ is manifested in that community. So it's the, the concept of the dominion is really about it's it's multi multifaceted. Um, it's not simply, it's, it's him reigning and um, uh, this corporate idea, this kingdom of God. And so he's working through all of that to establish our, our how then shall you live ethic kind of thing um, in that relationship. So yeah, that's exactly right. Any other thoughts, comments? Uh, John, I'm not going to break, so you're welcome to kind of come up and get set up as we, as we wrap this up. Um, any other thoughts or questions? Um, so, um, so the the one of the questions I would have for you is: when you consider New Testament ethics, what do you see as the central takeaway? That's one of the questions on here that I wanted I wanted to ask people. When you consider New Testament ethics, what do you see as the central takeaway? Go ahead. All about him, not about us. All about him. He chose us before the beginning of time, so he had done anything good or bad. Yep. He's what we have and what we're completely yet. Yep. But God, as it says in the But God has chosen us. Okay. What's your central, anybody else have a central takeaway? Anything else? His grace is central. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about this, I think, I think primarily this is, what, this is the central takeaway that we should bring from it is all that you said and that that leads us to a Christian ethic. In other words, we are to live a certain way that is centered on Christ, empowered by Christ, for Christ's glory. Um, anyone who basically is like, well, I can kind of live my life the way I want and God will forgive me. That's not true. That's just not the way it works. 
God does forgive, but God forgives those who repent. <laughs> and you only can repent if there's a standard by which you have to live. Um, it, it's fascinating to me the number of times I've run into that as a Christian. I mean, I, we, time and time and time and time again, people, to this point, we're wrestling with people in our church where it's like, well, God, God loves me, God forgives me, so I'm just going to keep doing this. Well, but he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, he may love you, but he doesn't forgive you if you just continue in it because you're not asking for forgiveness. Like, you can't receive forgiveness if you don't ask for forgiveness and repent. And so that's... Right. It says, I'm sorry I'm doing what I'm doing. Lord, forgive me for this. Cool. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's a parent, like, Mom, I'm sorry. You're still doing it. So... Yeah, but you're still doing it. Knock it off. So, anyways. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the time you give us to be together. Uh, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the salvation that we have, not because of what we've done, but entirely because of what you've done. Father, I pray um, that this would be something that is set in our hearts as we understand uh, more deeply what you've called us to in your work of salvation. 